Well, before I start right in in the series, um, I want to draw your attention to something that's a little bit of an unusual problem that just, you know, our day and time has. In fact, if you went back to about 1956 or 57, this wouldn't have existed at all. But it's a problem we have called space junk. Um, We've got a picture, I believe. This is actually a picture. And it gives you a sense of what's, you know, going around our planet, stuff that is stuck in orbit. Now, these were things that once were fully functional and helpful. They were satellites of various types, but there's been some collisions and there's been some other things. And so now this stuff is stuck in orbit, but it's dysfunctional and it's actually damaged and it's dangerous. Now, they estimate that um, if you were to look at the, the sheer number of these pieces of dysfunctional space matter, space junk, it, it's as high as a million pieces. Now, about 500,000 of the pieces are only the size of marbles, about 200,000 of the size anywhere from a quarter inch to four inches, and then there's about 23,000 that are the size of softball. Now, I tell you all that to to get to this point. This stuff is traveling at 17,500 miles per hour. So the average bullet goes about 1,700 miles an hour so picture a marble 500,000 marbles traveling 17,500 miles an hour they are very dangerous once functional once helpful now dysfunctional damaged and dangerous and when I thought about all this I thought about the fact that what I tried to establish last week is that each human being that has ever lived, ever will live, we are inherently worshipers. We started out with this series title, Worship. And, and what I emphasized is that worship is really based on you and I coming to some conclusions about who is actually worth our supreme and ultimate trust, devotion, dedication, and so forth. And what I hope I established last week is that far from worship being something that's only optional, only for those that are interested in such things, um, far from it being something unimportant, worship actually right now determines the quality of each of our lives as well as the content of our character. It's not optional. It's not just for those religiously inclined. Everyone is a worshiper. What I hope I showed sufficiently last week, and the only question is this, it's, it's what we're worshiping. The whole world and every human being that's ever lived or ever died could be divided into two camps. We are either worshiping the creator or we are worshiping things that he created, persons, places, and things. We're stuck in orbit, in other words. Whatever we find our lives orbiting around, what is the center of our life? For example, some people, if we were to look objectively and honestly, we would see the center or what their life is really orbiting around is perhaps the pursuit of power or prestige, popularity, could be money, could be pleasures of various kinds. Their whole life is just experimentation with one pleasure after another. That's the the center. They're stuck in an orbit around. It could be noble things. It could be family. It could be friends. It could be country. It could be some philosophy. But whatever our life is orbiting around, we're finding our values from, our decision-making propensities and so forth. That's what is the object that we're worshiping. And the scripture, God himself says that Every one of us, as we sit here today, we are worshipers. And we're actually, knowingly or unknowingly, either worshiping the creator or we're worshiping things he created. Now, here's the the dark side of this. If we are worshiping, knowingly or unknowingly, the things that he created, meaning I might be worshiping myself. My whole life just revolves around doing what I feel like, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. If we're knowingly or unknowingly worshiping created things, we are like those fragments of satellites that once were helpful, once were functional, but they're now damaged, they're now broken, they're now dangerous because they're traveling at high speeds and they can collide with other functional satellites. There's about 14,000 functional satellites more all the time. And, And I think that's a good analogy of the human race, that there are those that are orienting their lives around their creator. The creator is the only one that can tell us who we are, why we're here, how we're designed, what the laws of our being are, how, uh, what, what his purpose and plans were for us. 
And if we don't center our lives around him, well, we're, we're doing guesswork on these things and we can become dysfunctional, damaged, and frankly, dangerous. Probably no one in this room has not been hurt sufficiently by another human being that we don't remember it. So we are hurtful, sometimes knowingly and unknowingly. We don't even mean to. And, and let's be very honest. If we were all to put our cards on the table, truth be told, we have also done some hurting in our time as well. So we're all in orbit. And what we established last week is that as human beings, we kind of intuitively, we don't even know that we're doing it, but we just intuitively, we seek this. Worship is the ultimate organizing principle of our lives. We're always looking for that which we can let our lives revolve around. Worship, whatever we are giving supreme trust in, devotion to, our lives start to revolve around it. It becomes the organizing principle of our life. It's how we get our values. It's how we set our priorities. I said earlier, it's how we make our decisions. Every one of us is worshiping. The only question is, are we worshiping the creator, which leads to us being functional, which leads to us developing, growing, becoming like our creator, or we're worshiping things he created, which leads to a deterioration of character and a damaged character as well as dangerous character on that as well. So the question is, what are, not if we are, I know some of you are thinking, but Randy, I got his friends, an atheist, agnostic. That atheist, agnostic, is still worshiping, worshiping the created things, maybe him or herself, their ideas, their philosophies. They're still worshiping. They're still finding that central organizing principle of their life that organizes everything. Now, last week, I, I closed with giving us a mirror. If we want to know, if we really want to know what kind of worshiper we are, there's a passage that God gives us a mirror that we can look at ourselves and have some objectivity and at least know. And I shared it with you. It's Romans 12, verse 1. The Apostle Paul, writing to followers of Christ living in Rome, he said, So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And when we stop there, that's, that's, what does it mean, a living sacrifice? I mean, it sounds kind of paganistic almost, you know. But then the rest of the verse explains what God means by a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice to God dedicated to his what? Service and pleasing to him. This is the, what does it say? Come on with me. True worship that you should offer. So when God looks at us and we can look at the mirror of his word and see ourselves, the question we should ask is, does this describe me? Am I dedicated to the service of God? And let me add a caveat to that. Dedicated to the service of God, not because I'm trying to appease him, not because I'm trying to, you know, with a mercenary spirit, get something from him, but I am dedicated to his service because he has won my trust. I believe that he has the competence that I give my trust to, and he has the character that wins my trust. He is almighty, all-knowing, but he's also sacrificially loving, loving, proven in Christ's life, Christ's sacrificial death in particular, and ultimately his resurrection. So am I one that when I look at my life, or better yet, if I had somebody else objectively examine my life, they would look at my life and they would say, that is a person that is dedicated to the service of God. And here's why I said, I, I can see this and I can see that and I can see this and I can, I can see every area of their lives. And not only are they dedicated to his service, they want to please God. Everywhere they go, with everyone they interact with, everything they do, they're not doing it because they're afraid of God. They're not doing it because they hope to win heaven. They're not doing it to escape some kind of eternal punishment. They've just become convinced God is trustworthy. He is worth, worthy worship of my utter dedication. I want to please him. I want to know him. I want to understand his way, his will that's revealed in his word. I want to understand the way he's designed me and I want to live the kind of life that God himself lives and I want to learn how to love the way God himself loves. That's what this is talking about. So when we look into this mirror of God's word, uh, 
do we find we are worshipers of God? Now, last week I, I emphasized this component of worship, the rational, contemplated part of worship. In other words, you and I are getting or, or trying to be as objective as we can, and we say, who is worthy to rule the universe, to rule over the will of every human boy and girl that's ever lived, ever will live? Who, who is worthy to be trusted with that kind of leadership, that kind of power? And as we looked at the character of God being, you know, omniscient, eternal, all-knowing, but sacrificially governed by his love revealed in Christ on the cross, we, we said that rationally we can, we can deduce, as it were, just using our reason that God is the worthy one. Our lives should be, if we're wise, orbiting around him, his word, his will, his revelation, because he always knows what's best for us and he always wants what's best. The quality of our life and the content of our character is always determined by what we knowingly or unknowingly worship. When we worship the creator, the quality of our life starts to elevate as well as the content of our character. We become like the one that we worship. So we emphasized this rational component last week, but, but it's, not, it's not the whole picture of worship. Because as well as there's a thinking, reasoning side of worship, we worship God because he's competent and because of his character is proven, but, but there's this side of worship. There's an emotional, spontaneous part of worship. So what we're going to focus on today are the, dis the distinctives of true worship. Uh, there, there, are, there are two parts to true worship. There's this rational, deductive side but then there's this emotional, spontaneous side, and you can't separate them and have the distinctives of true worship. Now, to get into this subject, we're, we're going we're to look at a portion of Scripture in which the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, God in flesh, God in human form, the entire New Testament uh, echoes this redundantly that, that Jesus was none other than the creator come to earth in human form. It, it's God saying, I'm going to do everything I possibly can now. I'm going to pull out all the stops to let you know who I am, how I think, how I feel, the way you matter to me, and so forth. It, it's God saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to vulnerably reveal myself to you with full knowledge that some of you are going to like me and some of you are going to reject me. But I don't care because I love you too much to hide the depths of my affection, my devotion, my desire for your highest well-being and happiness. I'm going to reveal myself vulnerably, offer myself. Guys, how many of you can remember the first time you, you wanted to tell that girl, oh, I like you, like you, you know what I'm saying? Or, or, or I have feelings for you, and you're scared, man. You're scared that she doesn't have the feelings back. I mean, that's, that's scary stuff. That's vulnerable. Well, God, our God, who is the Almighty, He is also the most tender, the most compassionate, the most gentle, the most humble, loving being in the universe. And that's why He's worthy of worship. So we're going to look at a portion of Scripture where, um, please don't go to Claire yet, where we're going we're to jump into a conversation, the middle of a conversation. And, and here's why this is interesting. Here's Christ, who is God in human form, and he is choosing, in, in his brief three-and-a-half-year ministry, he is choosing to reveal to one particular human what real, true worship really is, the depths, the distinctives of true worship. Now, here's why it's interesting. He, he didn't go to the theological uh, influencers of his time. There were many theological influencers that... Christ, God in flesh, could have went to and, you know, given them this clear, concise picture of the distinctives of true worship. But that's not who he went to. In fact, if you study the Gospels, you know that, that these are the individuals that Jesus had the most trouble with. They were arguing with God. God came and they didn't like who he was, even though they had dedicated their whole lives to studying him. So he chooses to reveal this, this deep secret, the distinctives of true worship to this least likely individual. An individual that, that would have made no sense at all if his goal was, I want to find the most influential person 
so that this truth can you know be widely known quickly of course God wants it widely known it's in his word but but the one that he shared it with is the last person that anybody would have thought of so tuck all that away as we get in this conversation it starts in John 4 and we'll pick up in verse 7 I couldn't couldn't give you the whole thing but we're going to take the meat of it and then I'll fill in the gaps it says when a Samaritan woman came to draw water Jesus said to her will you give me a drink so give it a little context it's noontime this woman is coming out at the heat of the day to get her water because she suspects that that will be the time that no one else will be there you'll find this woman has quite a shady background she's been married five times and the man she's now living with she was not even married to she was a woman that that had a reputation she was like the naughty lady of shady lane and so she she was dodging people you know she fully expects somebody had never heard of it before the naughty it's just an old lamb right um she's fully expecting you you, you got some of you you're, you're you're going to know this feeling this is a lady that walked through life fully expecting to see in the eyes of other people condemnation rejection to, to not be wanted let, let me go further this is a lady because of the culture she lived in she fully expected to be looked upon as one that is disgusting okay and that that's why she's hiding out she's going to get water when she hopes like crazy nobody else is there she didn't want to face anybody she feels bad enough as it is so that's the condition now Jesus initiates a conversation with her pause remember who Jesus is he's God he's God she's living in a culture where she has been convinced that God above everybody would just be disgusted with her that she's beyond redemption she's done she's gone too far okay but Jesus God he initiates conversation he actually asks her for help it's a fascinating thing it goes on his disciples had gone into town to buy food the Samaritan woman said to him you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans I don't want to give you an extreme history but just a little background Uh, the kingdom of Israel you know uh, some 900 years before this event had come to a split and when they split this guy named Jeroboam took over the northern kingdom it was 10 tribes there were 12 tribes of Israel just like we have 50 states well 10 of the northern tribes were taken over by this guy Jeroboam and he creates this false religious system and that became known as Samaria the Samaritans Uh, 722 BC the Assyrians overran them uh, just scattered them all over the Assyrian Empire and then they kind of had this amalgamation of pagan religions of various sorts as well as the worship the fragments of worship that were left of the true God and so the Sumerians were looked upon by the Jews as those that gave a false image of God that that, that they were doing great damage to the hearts and minds and souls of humanity and that's why the Jews didn't associate with them there was great prejudice Uh, we can understand prejudice today prejudice is a thing that's been throughout human history but Jesus, he breaks all the codes. Now, now the reason that the woman knew he was a Jew is because of the way he was dressed. Jews had a very distinctive, you know, way of dressing and the colors and so forth. So she knows, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's two things wrong with this, this situation this woman is saying. She's clever. She's saying, number one, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and you're talking to me and a good Jew, a real Jew, a holy Jew, a religious Jew wouldn't even look at me especially because you're a man religious Jew wouldn't, wouldn't even look at a woman in fact some of the, the religious leaders the Pharisees were called the bleeding Pharisees because they literally walked around like this so that they never looked upon a woman and they would bump into stuff and their heads would bleed this is no joke this is history as though that would stop lust it did not stop their lust nevertheless they, they tried so Jesus engages the woman and he's obviously a Jew so this takes her so off guard the conversation goes on Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water well now Jesus jumps the conversation from you know just give me a drink of the water that's here in this well to if you would have knew who I was you would have asked me 
and I would have given it to you. I would have given you living water. He's going to go on and show that this living water is nothing short of talking about God giving eternal life, immortality to this woman. This woman that in her culture would have been considered a pariah, would have been considered, you know, beyond redemption. And here is Jesus offering her eternal life immortality but she doesn't get it yet he's trying he's trying to do with her what, he, what God often tries to do with us we we come into a place like this we got all kind of stuff on our mind right you're worried about some bills and you're worried about an argument you got into your last night with your spouse or you're worried about your kids and what they're into or what they're not into you're, you're worried about your job situation we all are humans this is the stuff that gets a hold of our minds and I'm not saying that it shouldn't but what God often tries to do is he tries to get us to take a moment. That's why moments like this and places like this are so important. They are times when God can get us to elevate our thoughts about that which is ultimately important. More important than the things that, that we believe are important right now. It's not that the things are not important right now, but they're not ultimately important. And when our minds become fixated on what is ultimately important, what is immediately important becomes less uh, detrimental we make better decisions and so on so anyway he's raising her attention this, the conversation goes on yet a time is coming and now has come and here's the heart of my message here's where we're getting into the distinctives of true worship Jesus talking yet a time is coming and now has come when the what kind of what kind of worshipers come on with me true worshipers which means there are inauthentic worshipers false worshipers right if you got true you've got the false you've got the inauthentic and the authentic when true worshipers authentic worshipers will worship the father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father does what now we're going to get into this in a bit because the question comes why does god why does god seek people to worship him and we have a lot of uh, very inaccurate unfortunate ideas about why God seeks people to worship him and we're, we're going to cover that it says God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth so here's the distinctive of true worship true worship revolves our spirit and it involves God's truth as he has revealed the truth about himself and the truth about life and the truth about ourselves. We cannot worship. We cannot have authentic worship unless we are worshiping based on what God has revealed to be true about the universe, about himself, about life, about us. And we cannot worship him unless we're worshiping with, for want of a better term, our spirits. Now, to get our minds kind of aimed in, uh, in a good direction. Um, actually, let me finish out this, this passage, and then we'll go. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, called Christ, or is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, what does it say? Am he. By the way, this is the most clear declaration that Jesus ever gives in his three and a half year ministry that, that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the one that would reveal the truth about God, the truth about life. We now know that he was none other than God the eternal son, co-eternal with the Father and with the Spirit. At any rate, he tells this woman who he is. The conversation then goes on, or the situation goes on. The woman, I'll just tell you because I didn't print out all the verses for you. The woman leaves goes into town and she starts telling all the Samaritans that she met someone who told her everything about herself because Jesus tells her he says you know go call your your husband he knew that she had five husbands and so forth and we'll relate to why he said that as well but she goes in and she tells everybody and the whole town starts coming out to meet Jesus now mind you this is a woman who came to the well at 12 o'clock in the afternoon in the heat of the day to avoid people because she was so beaten down with shame now she runs toward the people her shame is no longer controlling her she has good news and she wants to tell the people she knew she had met God in Christ and she knew God was nothing like what she had been told that he was kind and he was loving and he was gentle and he was generous and he was interested in her and he did not condemn her nor see her as beyond redemption 
In fact, he offered her eternal life. All he needed from her was his trust, and that's exactly all that he wants and all that he needs from us is our trust. He can't take us where we're meant to go. He can't give us what he wants to give us unless we're willing to trust him. And that's the one contingency that's on our side of the equation, not, not his. So when we talk about, it goes on to say they, they came out and they asked him to stay in their town and he stayed for two days. Many more Samaritans put their faith, their trust in Jesus because of what they heard him say. So this lady becomes the catalyst for multiple people coming to trust in God as he's revealed himself in Christ. This lady was key. Now, we want to break this down. What would this worship in spirit and in truth, what would it look like? Because if we're honest, we have a hard time with, with spiritual reality. And, and so to, to get our minds moving in the right direction, I'm going to ask you a few questions that all of us will, will be able to identify with and understand. Uh, how many of you within the past um, three years have ever gone to like a a sporting event you know where like a professional sporting event you bought a ticket and like that or or a concert or something like that can i just see the hands of everybody here that's been to a concert or a sporting event man that's almost all you guys you get out a lot <laughs> <laughs> me not so much <laughs> by choice okay so when you went to the concert or when you went to the sporting event uh, did you have somebody that, that first, when you were, you know, sitting in your, your seats, by the way, when you went to the concert or sporting event, were you sitting close to somebody, right? You were packed in there, and you didn't care that you were packed in there, okay? Just a little thought there. Get used to sitting beside somebody. It's good. It's, it's community. It's good. So you went there, and did somebody come out on stage, first of all, and say, now, look, now, we're all gathered here today, and, and, and we're, I'm going to tell you, I don't know why you came I don't know why you came here today, but I came here because I'm going to give praise to my team or I'm going to give praise to Adele or whoever it is you're, you're listening to. I, I, I'm here because he's worthy, they're worthy, she's worthy, and I'm going to shout. It doesn't, I don't know what's been going on in your life this week, but I'm going to set it aside and I'm going to give praise because Adele is worthy of praise or the commanders are worthy of praise. <laughs> That's a Washington football team for you that don't know. Uh, I always make fun of the more commanders because I hate that name, Redskins. Um, without trying to offend anybody, that's just the name of the team ever since I was a little boy. <laughs> um, anyway, you go, and that doesn't happen. Nobody, nobody comes out and prompts you, gets you revved up, or makes you feel guilty if you don't praise that doesn't happen does it no it doesn't happen but 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 then the singer starts singing or the game starts ensuing and spontaneously how many of you have ever you just got up and you cheered or you are you ready you started clapping or you shouted how many have ever just spontaneously done that at a concert or at a sporting event can I see your hands once again oh man you guys are fanatics <laughs> no you're not you know that okay why why do you do such things that is so strange why do you do that why do you start clapping and cheering and shouting somebody's paying you aren't they you're, you're getting paid you're getting paid off no you're not getting paid off I know why somebody's threatening you man if you don't get up and shout and cheer somebody's going to take one of those, those cattle prongs and let you have it. No, that's not it either, Randy. Well, why do you do it? It is spontaneous. It is emotional. It's also rational. Something is occurring. This individual or this team is doing something that you admire, you appreciate, you respect, and and you're moved by it. You, you, you can't quite explain it. You're just, you want to be a part of it. You, you just want to celebrate with them, for them. Now, here, here's the interesting part. You're spontaneously moved to express this joy because you're not doing this because somebody's making you miserable or guilt-tripping you. You're doing it because, oh, you can't help yourself. You, you see something beautiful. You see something wonderful. You see something excellent. And you just spontaneously erupt and it's a blast for you. You feel good. How many of you feel good when you cheer or applaud? Can I, can I just see your hand? Yeah. 
But that's not your primary reason for doing it. It just kind of happens because you see something and it evokes this. When we think of worshiping in spirit and in truth, we've got to go inside. We've got to go deep inside ourselves. That's what Jesus is saying. If you follow the whole passage, the woman asked Jesus questions about, hey, 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 where are we supposed to worship? You know, you, you Jews say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We Samaritans say you're to worship on this mountain. Jesus stops her and says, forget the location, lady. It's not about location. It's about authentic worship from the inside out. And there's a spontaneity as well as a rational component of that. There is an emotional component of that as well as a completely cerebral component. We appreciate that God is trustworthy. He's competent. He has all power and all might. He has proven his character by his sacrificial death on the cross. So he, he's won that part. But then there's another part that when we see him and when we hear his responses and his ways and his will and his word and his plans and his promises, for the future especially, there's something that just, we just can't help ourselves. We just, we just like him. We're just moved toward him from the inside out. So let me show you a few scriptures in the New Testament that talk about this inner world that each of us has. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verse 11, it says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. Picture, there's a spirit within us that has objective ability to examine our thoughts as well as our feelings, as well as our motives. And it goes on to say, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Listen, one of the unique things um, about human beings is that we have a God consciousness or a God awareness, a divine awareness, as well as a self-awareness. Okay, animals don't have that. You don't see animals, you know, breaking down crying when they hear a beautiful song or, or when they see a sunset or, or you know, they, they don't have the ability. We have this thing that God gave us, a spirit. This spirit gives us uh, an awareness of God's presence as well as self-awareness. We have this inner world and we can, we can see ourselves to some degree of objectivity if we're letting God's truth fill these minds of ours so the spirit is that which was within let me go on one more about this proverbs 20 verse 27 it says the human spirit is the lamp of the lord that sheds light on one's what in most being it's what i'm thinking it's what i'm feeling it's what my motives really are as opposed to what i may say my motives are the Lord uses our spirit, our God-enlightened reasoning faculties, our conscience, our divine and self-awareness. These are the major faculties that give us the ability to uh, an, do an analysis of our own inner world. And when we're talking about worshiping in spirit and in truth, let me tell you what it will not fit into. Fear, if we are afraid of God and we are doing things to try to appease him, that is not worshiping in spirit and in truth. If, if we are mercenary in spirit, in other words, we, we are doing things that we think will gain reward from God, and that's the only reason we're doing them. It's not that God doesn't reward faithfulness, but, but we're, we're doing these things because we want to get something out of God, in other words. So on the one hand, we're scared of God. We want, we want to avoid something. On the other hand, we want to get something out of him. That is not worship in spirit and truth. Worship in spirit and truth means there, there's something that we can't help it. We, we just see something in God, in his character, in his plans, in his purposes, in his word, in his will, in his ways. And when we see it, it's just like that sporting event. It's just like that concert. It just evokes something. And there's, there, there's, there's this resonance. We just say, I love the way you think. I love the way you feel. I love your will. I love your ways. I may not have them all down yet, but man, when I see you, I, I want that. I want you. Psalm 40 communicates this real nicely. It says, I delight to do what? 
your will, not my will. I delight, oh God, to do your will. This is authentic. This is the spontaneous. It's saying, when I, when I see your will as it's revealed in your word and your ways, the way you actually designed us to live as opposed to the ways we do live, when I see it, oh my goodness, I wish to myself, I wish everybody lived the way you designed us to live. There would be no, there would be no conflict. There would be no hatred. There would be no prejudice. There would be no war. There would be probably not even any death because God would be dwelling here amongst us and we'd be living under his perfect will. I delight to do your will, O oh God. Your law is where? Within my heart. That's the psalmist's way of saying, man, I devour your word. What you've revealed, I want to know it and I want to internalize it and I'm going to live by it because I can't help myself. You, you, you just win. When you jump up out of that seat and you're clapping at that concert or that sporting event, it's the same thing. You see something that emotionally and spontaneously resonates with you. That's the heart of worshiping in spirit and in truth. Let me show you four elements that I've shared before with you. Here's what we're looking at. Worship in spirit and truth involves, first of all, admiration. It means that when I look at God, when I listen to his word, when I hear about his will and his ways, the way that he actually meant life to be lived as opposed to the way that it is lived, I admire it. I like what I see. I like what I hear in his word. I don't just admire it. I appreciate it. I can see it's right. It's good. Man, I wish the whole world were like that. Thirdly, it starts to arouse affection in me. We have affection. We don't like to say this too, too much out loud, but we have affection for some of our sports teams, some of our, our singers and you know the people that we follow and so forth. We do. We develop an element of affection. Worship in spirit and in truth involves I admire God for himself, his word, his will, his ways, his plans, his purposes. And, and, and I appreciate they're just good. They're just smart. They make sense. And I have affection for him and his plans and his purposes and his character. I, I, I like him, in other words. I really like him. I don't just fear him. I'm not just trying to get something out of him. I see him and spontaneously, I, I just like him. I, I want to cheer him. I want to not just like him, but I also aspire to be like him. You can't separate these folks. Listen to me carefully. The distinctives of worship, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, you cannot, you cannot take any of these away. There must be admiration, appreciation, affection, and aspiration, meaning I am aspiring to be like him. I don't, I don't just like him. I want desperately to be like him. It's authentic. It's not because I'm afraid. It's not because I'm trying to get into heaven. I just have seen something so excellent, so beautiful. I cannot help myself, just like we can't help ourselves at that concert or at that sporting event. The excellence, let's just say, of what we hear or see evokes the response. This is what Jesus was talking about, that woman. It's not about rituals. It's not about ceremonies. It's not about persons and places. It's about from the inside out, as God reveals himself to us, what sort of a response does it evoke from us? Are we distinctively those that worship God in spirit and in truth? Now, we could delve into this on a much deeper level but but I, I want to go quickly to the next point because the passage we read where Jesus is conversing with this woman uh, Jesus says to her he says it's those kind of worshipers that God wants and I said earlier in this message there, there's a lot of inaccurate thoughts about why does God want to be worshipped so let's ask the question why would such worship be desirable why does God desire worship and especially this worship in spirit and in truth now, here, here's what I think often comes to people's minds, even though we may not have clearly thought it through. When people hear that God wants to be worshipped, generally speaking, a lot of people just think, well, man, you know, he, he's the man, and he wants to be known as the man. You know, he, he's the dog. He's, he's the boss. And if people don't treat him like the, the, the dog, the boss, then he doesn't like it. So he, he feels what we actually think about God is that, if we express worship in some way, it makes God feel good about himself, which means God has a weak ego that needs to be massaged. 
which means that, that, that God needs people to be constantly showing him affirmation and appreciation, which, which means that God is a little bit insecure, and he's got to be known as, as the, the boss and the provider and the sustainer. And, and Christians and, and guys like me, pastors, we promote this nonsense. Think about it. Think about it how... Think about how, I'm just going to say this, just think about how weak and stupid that makes God appear. If God needs me tossing myself on the ground, uh, doing obeisance to him to make him feel good, how weak and dumb is he? Does he need that? How insecure is he? How inferior is he to us if we can manipulate him with a couple of high hallelujahs and he feels good for the rest of the day. We even sometimes hear people say, we're gonna reward God today with, with our praise. Really? He, he, he needs something that I can give? No, that's not the God that I see revealed in scripture. The God that I see revealed in scripture is totally secure, totally giving, generous, in need of nothing but desirous to bless everyone. So, so something's wrong with that model. I want to dislodge that model from your mind because if you have that model in your mind of a God who is needy, you're never going to develop. You're, you're going to become like space junk. You're going to be dysfunctional. You're not going to develop. You're not going to grow. You're not going to get healthy in the way that the real God with his real character wants you to be. So let's go through some passages rather quickly, but I want you to, to kind of emphasize or, or focus in on a couple points. Here's from Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul is talking with a bunch of, uh, debating actually with a bunch of philosophers, Greek philosophers, and he's trying to introduce the true creator to them. He says to them, he says, from one man he made all nations, he's talking about God, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands, which is really thought-provoking. It literally means he chose you to be born in America at this time in history. Really thought-provoking. Anyway, let me go on. Verse 27. God did this so that they would what? Seek him. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So he put you here now because he thought that you'd have a better shot at seeking him. He, he's not going to bull down you know break down your door but he's hoping he can put you in a condition that will make it more likely for you to seek him you evidently matter to him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from what does it say any of us this woman think back again she lived in a culture that would have given her the 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 depiction of herself that she was beyond redemption that she was disgusting in the sight of God she was to look forward to nothing but his total and entire condemnation but that's not that's not the God of the Bible he came seeking that woman and he comes seeking us but but he 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 wants us to seek him let me go on I'm, I'm going somewhere with this don't worry Hebrews 11 and without trusting, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to God. Unless I trust him, he's not going to be pleasing me. Why? Well, what if, what if I need to trust him before he can give to me what he wants to give to me, lead me the way I need to be led, correct me the way I need to be corrected, heal me the way I need to be healed? What if his hands are still nailed to a cross, as it were, unless I trust him? Without trusting him, it's impossible to plead pleasing to God because whoever approaches him must trust that he does exist and that he becomes a rewarder to those who, here it is again, seek him out rewarder into this i've got to believe that god is good and therefore if he's good he's going to do good and he wants me to seek him now, now, now here's here's the part, part i'm trying to emphasize with you god actually cares about a real authentic relationship with people which means he's not going to use fear to coerce us He's not going to dangle carrots to 
arouse yet more selfishness and mercenary spirit in us he's going to reveal himself as he actually is he's going to unashamedly declare his love for us and his desire to do us good but then he's going to wait and he's going to say I just need you to trust me I love you I'm for you but I can't help you unless you'll trust me and follow me fully but you've got to follow me freely because you really trust me and you've you got to follow me forever because I'm infinite and eternal and you're finite you're always going to need to be guided, directed, protected you're always going to be in a learning curve so I just need you to trust me you trust me, you're going to see all I want to do is do you good I'm going to reward you here's the key right here God desires our worship because of whose need? our need not his it says the father seeks such to worship him God knows that when our life starts to orbit around him his word his will his ways his plans his promises his purposes when he becomes the center now we have positioned ourselves where he can pour out all of his goodness as we follow him we experience progressively his goodness and it goes right on to in into eternity so God desires our worship because we need it. When we center our orbit around persons, places, things, created things, we get damaged and we do damage to one another. That's human history right there. So God desires our worship not because he needs something from us. He doesn't need his ego affirmed or titillated or anything. We need to have our lives centered in him the one that loves us more than we love ourselves knows what's best wants what's best that's the reality behind this distinctive of worshiping God want to worship let me let me go and take it a little deeper James chapter 2 it says listen my dear brothers and sisters has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith or rich in trust and to inherit the kingdom he promised to who's this kingdom promised to what does it say Oh, worship in spirit and in truth. I, I, I meet people all the time. I, I'm an old guy, so I, I've had a lot of conversations with people through the years. And I meet people all the time. They want to go to heaven. They really believe in heaven. They, they really believe that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. They, they really believe that Jesus uh, will give the gift of eternal life in his kingdom in heaven to those that trust in him but they don't like Jesus they don't like the will of God they want to go to heaven but they honestly don't like righteousness and they don't like God much less love God there's no there's no resonance inwardly they just they want to cut a deal with God how many of you know that there's not one prisoner in jail today that, that wouldn't take a pardon if a pardon was offered to them? How many of you know that, right? They would all take a pardon. But would they all agree that they now love the law of the land and that when they get out, they're going to abide by the law because, man, it's won their heart? No. No. We have churches packed full of people that think they're going to heaven because they've cut a deal with God. They, they believe some facts about God. You know, oh, Jesus died for our sins, and if I just trust in him, you know, that, that he'll take me to heaven. And I just ask him for this package that's wrapped up in a, in a box with a bow on it, the package of salvation. If I just accept the gift, I'm going to heaven. Even though I don't really like God, I don't really like his word, I don't like his will, I never study it, I'm not interested in it. Uh, I, I'd like to sin as much as I can and still make sure I'll make the cut to go to heaven. Churches are packed with people like that. They are not worshipers in spirit and truth. They are not going to heaven. They would be misfits. They'd be miserable in heaven because they, like, they don't like the will of God now. What makes you think they're going to like it then? You know, it's, it's just the reality. Spirit and truth worship is reality. It's for people that love God. And we cannot love God without loving his will. Jesus said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Right now, right here, from the inside out. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but not everybody wants to do the will of God. It says those that love God. Let me go on. Romans 8, 28. And we know, this is one of Christians' favorite verses, by the way. We know that all things 
that in all things God works for the good, for the good of those, uh oh, what does it say? Who love him, worship in spirit and truth from the inside out. Don't just love heaven, love him his righteousness, his way, his will in every area of our life because we trust him who have been called according to his purpose. Let me, let me go on a couple more. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your what? We can't love God without loving his law. His law is the law of liberty, it says in the book of James. When I do the will of God, I find that it heals me, it helps me, it liberates me, it frees me from my own stupidity. I'm my worst enemy. My will is my worst enemy. God's will is always for my good. But I love your law. I meditate on it. What's the evidence of loving the law? Meditate on it. Studying it. Psalm 119, 167. I do what to your teachings? Oh, that's, that's even different than meditating on them, isn't it? I, I, I don't just meditate on them. I don't just love them. I actually obey them. You say, do it, Lord, because I trust you. I'm going to do it. You say, learn it. I'm going to learn it. You say, stop doing it. I'm going to stop doing it. Why? Because I trust you, and I, and I love you. I love your ways. Your ways are superior, clearly. I obey your teachings. I love them. What does it say? With all my heart. Now you and I, we've got to ask ourselves some questions. Do I love the word of God, the will of God with all my heart? Is there evidence that that I study it, I meditate on it, I obey it? Are there glaring glaring evidences in my life of places where I don't want to know what God thinks? I don't want to know what he says. I don't want to do his will. I want to do my will. I want to do it my way. You just stay out of this portion of my life. When it comes to my money, God, when it comes to the way I handle my sexuality, God, when it comes to A, B, C, D, you know, we can all fill in the blanks. I don't want to know about your will. I I just want to know that you love me and you're with me and you're going to bless me and you're going to make me a success we're kidding ourselves folks that's not worship in spirit and truth we're trying to cut deals with God and God the real God he loves us too much for that he knows that the blessing follow me now the blessing we all really want the blessing we really all need cannot be had until we trust him authentically and entirely and that means We've really found affection, admiration, appreciation, and ultimately aspiration for him. I don't just like him. I want to be like him. I don't just like his will and his ways, but I I obey them. I'm putting them into practice. The blessing comes when we finally actually trust in Christ, become his followers, and then progressively fall in love with him as we see the beauty of his character, his way, his will, as it's revealed in his word. Now, I'm going to take a a detour because there's some of you here this morning that this might be a very, very special day for you. I want to go back to the context of our passage. I hope I've established now that that, that, uh, worshiping in spirit and truth, it is a matter of authentically from the inside out, loving God and loving his way and loving his will loving his word and obeying it in our lives but let's go back to this woman because this woman lived in a society that would have as I said treated her as disgusting in the sight of God and I don't know how many years she lived that way I don't know how old she was but let's just say she was 40 years old so she roamed around for decades decades feeling that God looked at her with the eyes of condemnation, that he was disgusted with her, that he was angry with her, that she was sure one day to, to experience his punishment. And he was not interested in her at all. But Jesus is God. And Jesus treated this woman with respect. And he initiated conversation with her. He was interested in her. He, he generously offers her eternal life he's trying desperately to win her trust so that he can give her what he knows and nobody else knows she's always been looking for yeah Jesus brings up to her you you know where go call your husband she says well I don't have a husband he says yeah you said that one right you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your husband 
Why did Jesus bring this painful? This is the thing she was running from. This was the guilt. This was the shame that she was trying to avoid. Why did Jesus bring this up? Somebody will say, oh, well, he was convicting her of sin. Oh, please, read your Bible, man. This woman was convicted every day of her life. No, Jesus, you got to follow me. Some of you here, this is a whole message for you. Jesus wanted this woman to know, I know everything about you. I know your worst failure. I know your worst regrets. I know your deepest shame. I know that thing you would never, ever let anybody know about if you possibly could avoid it. And look at me, lady. Look at me. She's looking in Jesus' eyes. She's hearing his tone of voice, and she's not seeing condemnation in his eyes. She is not hearing condemnation in his voice. And she realizes, ultimately, when he reveals it, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you guys have been waiting for to reveal the truth about God. She knows that God is there in her presence and he likes her. He doesn't like the mistakes she's made that brought hardship on herself and on others no more than he likes the mistakes that we've made that brought hardship on ourselves and on others. He wants to rescue us from those, but we got to see the way that Jesus looks at us, the way that God looks at us. We're never beyond redemption. We're never disgusting in His sight. Christmas Eve, I gave an image to you, and I'm going to close out with this image. Some of us in here, no doubt, believe that God looks at us with the eyes of a prosecuting attorney, that He wants to find every single thing we've ever done wrong and he wants to condemn us he wants to build a case to condemn us like this woman she thought the image she had of God her society taught her, her the theologians of her day taught her that God looked at her as beyond redemption beyond reach disgusting to be condemned the eyes of a prosecutor but there's also this what if God looks at us not with the eyes of a prosecutor, but he looks at us with the eyes of an a ER doctor? People are brought in in all kinds of conditions. They, they've in many cases hurt themselves, and that's why they're brought in there. They're drug overdosed. They're shot. They're, they're involved in all kinds of things. They've maybe abused their body for 30 years. But when they go into that ER, that doctor, now listen carefully what I'm going to say. That doctor, like that prosecuting attorney, looks to find everything that's wrong with them okay the doctor wants to find everything that's wrong too that's uncomfortable but the doctor is looking to find everything that's wrong to heal us to help us to restore us to restore our life restore our soul that's the image of God that you I hope will walk out of here today with you will carry with you the rest of your life that's the image that Jesus affirmed to this lady God looks at us with the eyes of the ER doctor who will seek out everything wrong in our lives so that he can correct us and redirect us and heal us and stabilize us and and bring us into the life we were always meant to have as worshipers of God the real God the true God in spirit and in truth from the inside out those that that don't just like what he offers, but like who he is. Let me go further. Who don't just like what he offers or love what he offers, but love who he is. So, the distinctive of worship. Worship is, first of all, it, it becomes this, this organizational principle, this, this ultimate organizing principle for our life. We are in orbit around either Christ our creator or we're in orbit around some other created thing. One will lead to sure dysfunction and damage and dissatisfaction for the rest of our days. The other leads to life eternal. Perhaps this is the day that the Spirit of God has brought you here for such a day, for such a time, because God wants to give you the gift of living water, just like Jesus offered that woman. Eternal life, new life, new direction, new hope, healing to your soul, an effective life that is not dysfunctional but functional a blessing to others as well as to yourself let me make it real simple if you're here today and you're not even sure whether you've really put your trust in Christ and become his follower and you want to make sure this is the day let everybody follow whoever in the heck they want that's the attitude you need to have I don't care who you're following 
this God who's revealed himself in Jesus, he's won my trust today. He's won my affection. He's won my love. And I'm going to follow him. I don't care if anybody else is following. I'm going to follow him fully because I trust him more than I trust myself. I'm going to follow him freely because there's nobody kinder, nobody better. And I'm going to follow him forever because I'll always need to learn. I'll always need to grow. He's eternal. He's immortal. He's infinite. I'm finite. I'm always going to need to learn and grow. If you're here today and you've never made that kind of a decision, that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's what it means to be a receptor of eternal life. And that's what it means to live the way that we as human beings were designed to live. So you know who you are. You know what kind of decision the Lord might be uh, seeking so desperately to get you to consider today. And one last thought, each of us as we go, are we those that worship God in spirit and in truth? Because such the Father seeks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your vulnerability, the way you reach out to us, the way you empty your heart, the way you uh, allow yourself to be rejected or totally trusted. Uh, may your spirit just, just move some of us that are stuck in orbit. We've been stuck in orbit for, de for decades, some of us. May this be the day that we, we, we cease being space junk and become children, sons, daughters of the living God. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>